Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show, a brand new broadcast week. I'm Roger Marsh. Pitchers and catchers report in just a couple of weeks, and we got a baseball theme for the first hour of the broadcast today. Uh, coming up in the second half hour, uh, Brett Varvel is going to join me to talk about his brand new movie, Running the Bases. Right now, though, an encore presentation of my conversation with Tracy Strawberry, the wife of Major League Baseball great Daryl Strawberry, talking about her newest book, The Courage to Heal, Moving Beyond Your Habits, Your Past, and Your Pain, today here on The Bottom Line. One of the questions that Jesus asks people a lot in Scripture is, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? And I know that a lot of times we go through tough seasons and we sustain some really serious hurts. Um, People wound us badly. Uh, Sometimes we wound ourselves. And the question then we have to ask is, how are we going to get past the habits that force us into these types of bad decisions, these seemingly no-win propositions that we have? Uh, Joining me today here on The Bottom Line is an expert who's going to help us out, Dr. Tracy Strawberry, international speaker, author, CEO, and yeah, if you recognize the last name, she's also the wife of that guy who used to play for the Dodgers and the Mets, and talking about Daryl Strawberry, of course. Tracy's latest book is called The Courage to Heal, Moving Beyond Your Habits, your past, and your pain. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Tracy Strawberry, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Roger, thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Let's get the 800-pound gorilla out of the room first. Uh, who spotted who first, you or Daryl? <laughs> <laughs> I spotted him from across the room. Yeah. I spotted him from across the room, yes. Uh-huh. And uh, we had a mutual friend there, and they just happened to be holding my car keys. Mm. So when it came time for me to leave... They were sitting right next to Daryl, and when I asked him my car keys, then Daryl stood up and asked me to stay. <laughs> mm, I love it. I love it. I was talking to a counselor friend of mine one time, and I asked her how she and her husband met, and she said, well, basically, I chased him for a year until he caught me. And I thought, well, that's a good way to, descri- a good way to describe it. But uh, you guys have been married, but 20 years or so? I mean, you've got a nice, lengthy marriage. Yes, 17. Yeah. 17, very. Yeah, yes. I love it. And, we have, yeah. And he's your biggest fan, which I, I we're going to get into the book here. But I love the endorsements. I love the way he's always, you know, hyping you up on social media. And I think it, it's so encouraging to see husbands and wives, you know, just kind of cheering for each other, especially when you've had, uh, you know, past experiences that have, that could have easily drug you down and kept you from achieving what God had for you. Yes, yes, he's amazing, and God has done such an incredible work in him, and. Um, you know, but God is no respecter of persons when it mm-hmm. comes to salvation and his power Amen. and his love. And Daryl, I just, we are, we champion one another, but it wasn't always like that, mm-hmm. Roger. And people will learn in the book that um, because of sin, unhealed wounds, mm-hmm. habits of addiction, uh, we both have addiction in our past, and many people don't know that about myself. And my addiction to drugs and alcohol was so severe that I lost custody of my three sons. Oh, my. And, yes, when they were younger. And um, that's the power of unhealed wounds in our hearts, and that's the power of living our lives separated from God and living our own way. And one of the things that... I am very clear about addressing in my book, and of course it's living apart from God, but it's unhealed wounds. People don't realize the power 
and damage of an unhealed heart, bitterness mm. and brokenness and things that happen to us and how they express themselves and cause great destruction in our lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm talking with Dr. Tracy Strawberry today here on The Bottom Line. The book she's referencing is The Courage to Heal, Moving Beyond Your Habits, Your Past, and Your Pain. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I can only imagine, uh, Tracy, when you're dealing with people who have, you know, you're helping counseling or maybe people who are, are sitting under your Bible teaching um, that are coming up and saying, wow, I didn't realize. And I, th- th- I hear this a lot from people, too. I didn't realize how badly I'd been hurt. You know, I mean, we, we're pretty much mm-hmm. cognizant of the things that we've done and that we've done. But then there's the things that happen to us. And it basically, you know, it, it's amazing how they'll kind of come like a thief in the night. And next thing you know, here comes the temptation. And you know, and the temptation mm-hmm. goes from either to do something horrible or the temptation to quit pursuing the healing. You write about that in the book. Talk about what you mean by that. Yes, I do. And God created the soul to never be satisfied. And that's because mm. he never wants us to get tired of doing his work for Amen. him. Amen. He planted eternity in our hearts. So that, that's his purpose for us. But then the enemy comes in through his, his strategies and choices that people make. And hurts can be afflicted upon us through other people that are very damaging. I give examples in my book. For example, I was molested when I was eight years old. Mm. And that's a severe, mm -hmm, that's a severe break in the plan of God. I like to call them breaks because it's easy for people. If uh, whoever's listening right now, where, where did the breaks happen in your life? Mm -hmm. Sometimes people are raised in a very volatile household. They're never introduced to God. They don't know the ways of God. There are deep betrayals. People are, sexually, mentally, emotionally abused. And then other times it can be a deep betrayal of a romantic partner or relationship or a husband, things of this nature. They produce a brokenness on the inside of us that is, if it's not healed Mm -hmm. by the power of God and by us participating in his way of doing things, we make each other pay for the pain (laughs) of our past. For example, in a marriage, that happens all the time. Daryl and I were making each other pay for the pains of our past and also living outside of the boundaries of God. And that's what I love with the opportunity of having to write a book. There's an entire process that God leads us through that you and I, Roger, both know that we cannot outline an entire, you know, in 20 minutes. So people can sit down and take their own personal walk and personal journey through the details of how God heals the heart. Mm. And that healing is so essential. Uh, Dr. Tracy Strawberry, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called The Courage to Heal, Moving Beyond Your Habits, Your Past, and Your Pain. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Tracy, you mentioned some horrific childhood abuse that you experienced at the age of eight years. And I I can't imagine what it was like to not only live through that, but then to try to process it with your eight-year-old mind, you know, which which doesn't have a full Mm -hmm. understanding of of everything that was happening to you. As you get older, I I talk to a lot of people. They're in their 30s, their 40s, maybe even their 50s, and they've experienced a similar type of trauma, and they can't just, quote-unquote, get over it, get past it or whatever. But you'd write Mm -hmm. about forgiveness Mm -hmm. and how forgiveness is, as you call it, a crucial step to finding freedom if you want to be healed. Talk about what you mean by that. Yes. Yes. Many people are uh, misunderstand forgiveness. In the book, I'm very clear. I take four chapters and forgiveness, boundaries, and trust are the healing process Mm. of God. Mm -hmm. 
So when we forgive someone, it is the gateway, the entryway to healing. When we withhold forgiveness, we withhold the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. So every benefit that Jesus died to give us is hindered and is held back because when we forgive, we're giving God full permission. We're giving the Holy Spirit full permission to come in and do his deep work that only he can do. And also Jesus is the only one. Jesus paid the price. He accomplished forgiveness. Mm. We do not work on it. We do not accomplish it. It is something we freely give and freely receive. There's a concept that I, go ahead. No, keep keep going. I just wanted to add something kind of to underscore what you just said about forgiveness, but please continue because you're in a roll. There's a a phrase that I use in my book. I use one sentence to outline the difference. Jesus commands us to forgive immediately because he doesn't want it to create bitterness in our heart that turns into such a wound, that turns into addictions, that Mm. turns into anger, Mm -hmm. that turns into adulterers, that turns into these expressions of darkness that harm ourselves and others. So what I tell people is you can say, I forgive you, but I do not trust you. And we may have to navigate this relationship now with specific boundaries so that I can protect my heart while this healing process is taking time. Forgiveness is immediate, Mm -hmm. but trust takes time and is rebuilt. Healing takes time, and boundaries are established when someone is stuck in a cycle of sin and they just can't seem to get past the, I'm sorry, I won't do it again, but continue to do it again. Boy, I love the way you describe that. Tracy Strawberry is talking about her new book called The Courage to Heal, Moving Beyond Your Habits, Your Past, and Your Pain, which we have a link for up at thebottomlineshow.com, and talking about forgiveness, which is instantaneous, but then trust has to be rebuilt, boundaries have to be set. And what I was going to share just a couple of moments ago, I'll underscore it here now, the fact that for us in the body of Christ, so many people who have professed faith in Christ or living, you know, God-honoring, Christ-centered lives, and yet they've got some healing that needs to happen, we forget that forgiveness is the essence of our relationship with Jesus. I mean, when you get right down to it, if God did not love the world so much, he didn't send his son to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can be forgiven of our sin, that's the core of who we are as Christians. So for us to under—if we can understand that, then we have to understand that, yes, if you something did in fact happen to you that's horrible, you, you need to be forgiving, but the trust will have to be rebuilt, but the boundaries will have to be in place, and that's where the transformation happens. And it's such a, an eye-opening revelation that's been hiding in plain sight for a lot of our listeners, I'm sure. Dr. Tracy Strawberry, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called The Courage to Heal, Moving Beyond Your Habits, Your Past, and Your Pain. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and yes, we will be giving away a copy at the end of the conversation. More of this dialogue in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You know, I just finished a meeting in Africa with a group of guys. And I said to them, here's the deal. They want to know how things are going in the United States. Hey, I'm not going to lie to you. Things are crummy. But I said, what you do every day is you get up every day, gentlemen, and you realize that none of this matters. God is in control. And if you believe that, then it, it's all downhill. And, and I said to them, I said, so as we struggle here with the things that we're planning to do here in Africa, it's exciting to see all the things that you guys want to do and the plans you're making. Just know that God is in charge. And so and the bad things that are happening in the United States, God is going to work all of them to good, Romans eight twenty eight. That's the only solution is just go back every day to Jesus and ask him for guidance and what you're supposed to be doing. Amen and amen. Dennis Wilson, Wilson Financial Services, 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to capebrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. 
Dr. Tracy Strawberry, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Her brand new book is called The Courage to Heal, Moving Beyond Your Habits, Your Past, and Your Pain. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And before the break, Tracy, we were talking about the fact that a crucial step to finding freedom when you're looking to heal and be healed is forgiveness. But forgiveness involves some other components, too. And I think a lot of people are hesitant to forgive. Tracy, forgive me for over just yeah. overgeneralizing this. But they're hesitant mm-hmm. to forgive simply because they think that means you're condoning everything that happened to you and saying, okay, I'm okay with that. Talk about what forgiveness is, but also maybe more importantly, what forgiveness is not. Yes, and I I outline that in my book, and I take four chapters to outline forgiveness, trust, boundaries, which is the healing process of God. Number one, forgiveness is this, the first step of the healing process, and that gives God permission, like we said before. If you don't give him permission to come in, he's a gentleman. He can't come in and do his wondrous working power to do what only he can do. Right. And I outline in the book what forgiveness is not. It's not condoning what someone has done to you. It does not always mean reconciliation. But I'm also very clear on how people who are married are in covenant marriage, how you navigate through, because you can't just pack your bags and walk away and leave. Right. So how do you navigate through these hard times with these boundaries? How do you rebuild trust from an adultery perspective, um, these deep wounded places? And also... Um, examining relationships. If you're in a relationship when someone is continuing to hurt you and harm you, examining the relationships. So in the book I outlined, we forgive first, but then we examine the relationship. How do we build, rebuild trust? You cannot rebuild trust with someone who's stuck in the cycle of sin. Mm -hmm. So then I call that as I was with Daryl, a spouse in waiting. How do you love them, not leave them without losing yourself? Mm. And I answer that question all throughout the book. You know, I, I'm it, it's encouraging to hear you say that, Tracy, because we talked before in the earlier break about Tracy Strawberry, of course, is the uh, the wife of uh, former baseball superstar Daryl Strawberry, who's a pastor now and a prolific author, and he seems like he's on the road all the time. <laughs> he does spend a lot of time yeah, out speaking to different groups, which is <laughs> which is tremendous. But for you to be as transparent to say, hey, look, when you know we first met, we were both kind of coming out of some some things, and then we got married, and then we had you know more struggles. I appreciate you sharing that because the, the our desire, I think, for wholeness says, I want the happily ever after. And if Daryl and Tracy Strawberry have happily ever after, I can get there too. The fact that you acknowledge, mm-hmm. hey, wait a minute, you know, we are imperfect people. You know, we, we have a perfect Savior, and the sanctification process is just that. Uh, talk about, I mean, it, it's yeah. that way in marriage. It could be that way in parent-child relationships or friendships too. What are some of the things that we need to hold on to and be watching for to say, hey, we're making some progress here. We're, we're seeing some healthy growth. So then we can identify the places where you have to throw the flag and say, hang on, time out. We're, we're, we're kind of getting off course here. That's exactly right. Well, when you get off course, whether it's with um, a spouse or a child, the first thing we have to do is admit. We have to admit what's going on in the relationship. The hard part, Roger, with relationships is if the other person is not willing to admit, if the other person is not willing to change, if the other person is not willing to listen, these types of things. So how do you navigate from there? Trusting in God is first and foremost, it must always be, and there's never a time where you need to dig dig deeper into Christ and be connected with godly friends. 
then we have to establish boundaries. Whether the person listens to, obeys the boundary or not, let me give marriage, for example. Daryl and I went through adulteries. So, for example, if the adultery, if you're not cutting off the relationship, we're sleeping in a different, we're having different bedrooms, mm-hmm. and we're not going to share the marriage bed until this thing is over and until this thing is gone. If you have a child that's suffering with addiction, I love you, but I'm not going to give you money. Mm-hmm. I love you, but your butt is your boundary, your protective aspect in that. So God is very clear in his word how we navigate practical steps. And that's what I want to encourage somebody, even in the courage to heal, the practical steps. What does that look like when the red flags come? They're not just going to go away on their own. What we do not conquer or confront will conquer us. So there's confronting. People don't like to do that because it's hurtful. Boundaries are very hurtful and harmful. Why do we have to put in a boundary? Because somebody doesn't want to play God's way. They don't want to live God's way. And it's very hurtful, but it's very necessary. It's healthy for the person establishing them, and it's healthy for the person who wants to, let's just call it this, maybe walk all over you or take advantage mm-hmm, of you. Mm-hmm. It helps both parties on both sides. Yeah, and that, and that's key. I mean, the, those boundaries especially. I think about uh, my wife Lisa was just back in uh, Texas visiting our grandkids. Uh, a new grandson was born recently, and she got a chance to see him. Congratulations. And, thank you. Thank you so much, Nazareth and his uh, older sister, Zipporah. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because Zipporah is a toddler. And they're in a relatively small apartment type of thing. But still, when she got there, there were baby gates set up all over the place. You know, there's some healthy boundaries of places where when mom is, you know, feeding little brother, you can't go climbing in here and going around there. And I thought, well, we do that for kids. Why don't we do that for ourselves? Why don't we do that for the people that we really love and care about? Because those boundaries yeah. are so helpful. And, and I'm glad Dr. Tracy Strawberry has written about this in her book, The Courage to Heal, because if you want to move beyond your habits, your past and your pain, uh, healthy boundaries, healthy trust, uh, forgiveness, those are all essentials. Uh, you talk about habits and past and pain, Dr. Tracy Strawberry. Talk about the habit part, if you will. I know that there's kind of a movement in our culture right now on the secular side that says, well, you know, that's just the way I am. That's just I was born this way. You know, I have these tendencies. That's just kind of what we do, et cetera. Like, don't don't give me a bad time about the way I like to act. As Christians, of course, we know there are certain behaviors that say, well, those might be habits, but we need to break them. Uh, what what That's what do you right. recommend we do in terms of bringing that thing into the light or helping somebody else maybe you're in relationship with who needs to bring that in the light as well? Absolutely. Well, there's a difference. Many people will just say, well, just pray. Prayer is one part of the steps, but what we're talking about here are patterns. Patterns need to be broken and they need to be changed. And prayer gives us power, but patterns, breaking the pattern is our participation in changing our habit and living by the word of God. And the Holy Spirit will empower us to do that. The habits for me, such as alcoholism or living a promiscuous lifestyle, there was a time in my life too, where I had same sex attraction. And I just thought, I'm going to love the way I want to, and nobody's going to tell me Mm. how to do anything. Let me just address that for one moment. The reason why there's such a difficulty between the two, addiction is very clear. The devastation is great. The pain is awful. It's like a category five hurricane coming through. You can see the destruction. When you talk about same-sex attraction, like somebody tried to talk to me about, what you're doing is you're trespassing on my view of love. I'm not hurting anybody. This is love. You're talking about the way I love. I'm not hurting anybody. Surely God is not opposed to love and a healthy love to where no one's hurting each other. And that's where I had to come to grips with what the Bible said about love. And I had to trust that God alone was going to change the desires in my heart. Mm. 
So what I'm hearing as a person that was struggling with same-sex attraction for a time in my life is you're telling me I cannot love. You're removing my opportunity. You're telling me I have to go through life without love. And that's not what we're telling you at all. And when I trusted God and I trusted his ways and I safeguarded my life and I stopped looking at certain things and stopped entertaining certain lifestyles and I guarded myself from the temptations and I trusted God and went deep into God, he eradicated that desire in me. And then now I was able to experience the fullness of who God created me to be originally. God does not create us in sin. God created us in his image and likeness, and we are perfect in his image and likeness. Sin enters into us and distorts the desire, and that's what happens. The desire is distorted. It's I call it an affliction. It's something we don't ask for. Mm-hmm. It's an affliction. It's not something that we ask for, but it can and will be eradicated by the power of God if you'll just trust them. Mm. Man, that is you're preaching now, and I love the power of your words, uh, Tracy Strawberry. The book is called "The Courage to Heal: Moving Beyond Your Habits, Your Past, and Your Pain." We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. What do we look for? I mean, in terms of a measurement. Now we got about ninety seconds left in our time together, and your your final chapter in this book about open doors, endless possibilities, the new you. Uh, I love the way you said, "Hey, look, we're still going to have desires. We're still going to have attractions and things that you know that motivate us." The question is not necessarily to not have desire, it's to have godly desire, you know, and to move forward. How do we know we're getting it? How do we know it's really taking root? Absolutely. Well, when you read the Bible, it gives us, first of all, the instruction, the guideline, which is so powerful and so amazing. So we don't have to guess what's right and what's wrong. The Bible decides sin, or excuse me, defines sin. So we know what's wrong. So then God, help me be right. And when we participate in God's way of doing things, the Bible is very clear that when you delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. Mm -hmm. And those desires will line up with His desires. When you line up with Him and obey Him and do the things that I talk about in the book, like forgiving, setting up boundaries, guarding your life from temptation, what do those things look like? So the viewer who is saying, oh, my gosh, I need more, I didn't get my question answered, pick up the book so you can walk out that journey. I love it. The book is called The Courage to Heal, Moving Beyond Your Habits, Your Past, and Your Pain. We have a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Tracy Strawberry, great to get to meet you. Thank you for your vulnerability and authenticity and sharing about your struggles and how God has helped you overcome them. And now you're helping so many others all across the country and all over the world, actually. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Roger. Thank you. And that concludes my conversation with Tracy Strawberry, Dr. Tracy Strawberry, the author of a great book called The Courage to Heal, Moving Behind Your Habits, Your Past, and Your Pain. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. The last time we had Tracy on, the phones just went ballistic for a copy of her book called The Courage to Heal, especially when you read so much about her story of overcoming major hardship. Well, we have a copy of the book to give away here, and I want to give you a shot to get at it. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book you're calling for is Dr. Tracy Strawberry, the wife of Daryl Strawberry, and her book is called The Courage to Heal, Moving Beyond Your Habits, Your Past, and Your Pain. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. 
When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover, she knows the other side. My thanks again to Dr. Tracy Strawberry for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. I mentioned, you know, we've got a baseball theme, obviously, Tracy's husband, Daryl, you may be familiar with, former member of the Dodgers and Mets and World Series champion, Yankees, Hall of Famer. I mean, great guy who's now an outstanding pastor and evangelist and a great man of God. Daryl and Tracy have a remarkable marriage, and uh, she writes about in her book, The Courage to Heal, Moving Beyond Your Habits, Your Past, and Your Pain. Uh, she writes about what it was like to be in the situation where choices that she had made with regard to substance abuse and relationships and things led her to potentially losing custody of her children. I mean, it was, just, it was not a pretty picture. But God has delivered both her and Daryl, and you will not want to put this book down once you get it. We do have a copy of the book to give away, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line show. One copy of Dr. Tracy Strawberry's book, The Courage to Heal, Moving Beyond Your Habits, Your Past, and Your Pain, is up for grabs right now. Give Crystal a call, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, it's important that you seek the kind of healing that you need, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual. I know a lot of people have bad experiences for growing up in toxic churches, and, and God can heal that too, trust me. But I love how Tracy couches this journey of hers because it's very effective for us as well as individuals, and that is having the courage to heal. Do you know someone who has been stuck in a situation? I know recently, I even went through it a little bit in terms of some healing that I needed for my family, for my life, for my situation. And you get to the point where you're like, yeah, I know if I exercise or eat better, get more sleep, I'm going to feel better physically. Well, there are times too where you know God has given you the healing that you need, but do you have the courage to embrace it? Uh, A dear friend of mine in the pastoral world used to say the difference between uh, someone saying, I believe that, you know, I believe in God and I believe that he wants to heal me and restore me, and I am healed is this. He said, it's like when if someone were to tell you that bank down the street has a million dollars in it, you might say, well, of course it does. It's a bank. People make deposits. They take withdrawals. They make loans all the time. But if I said, hey, there's a bank down the street that has a million dollars and there's an account with your name on it where you can take all of it. Well, now you're all over it because you want to go and get what's there for you. God has healing for you. It may not be the way you want it, but it's definitely available to you. And to me, the question is, how many times did Jesus ask this question in Scripture? Do you want to be made well? If you have the courage to move forward, 
The healing is available. That is good news, and that's the bottom line. Hey, it's Movie Monday. As we continue, a great new movie, staying on this baseball theme, and a chance for you to win a copy. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Movie Monday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, joined for this segment by Brett Varvel, who is the star of a brand new movie that, yes, I like it because it's a baseball movie, but I also like it because of the message behind it, too. Running the Bases was in theaters this past fall. It's now streaming, and we've got links for the trailer for the movie and for the streams as well at thebottomlineshow.com. Brett Varvel, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor. Well, great to have you here. Um, are you a baseball fan, first and foremost? Got to ask you that. I am a baseball fan. Uh, I grew up playing baseball, and it was even played varsity baseball and and now in my adult years, I've been playing men's fast pitch softball in the summer. So I, I, anything to do with that type of uh, activity is exciting to me. Um, so, yeah, I, I love the game. Well, the reason I ask is because of your character in running the bases, you play it like a baseball guy. And I'm not taking anything away from anybody who's ever been in a sports movie where they're kind of like, yeah, I had no idea how to throw and whatever. I really That's one of the things <laughs> that lends so much authenticity to the movie running the bases is the fact that it's a sports-based theme, and of course, there's you know lots of metaphors for life. And actually, it's it looks like it's taken from today's headlines. Now that the 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 title "Running the Bases," anyone knows baseball. That's you know you have to run the bases if you're going to score. But there's a deeper spiritual <laughs> significance behind running the bases. Talk about that, if you would. Absolutely, yeah. It was a it was a blessing to be a part of the project, and it was it was funny. I was constantly kidding and pushing the directors to to have more scenes where I got to do actually do more baseball activity. Cause I was always coaching uh -huh. uh, and just talking. And, but uh, so there's a few scenes in there where I got to put some of my skills to the test and things like that. But um, it was just so, so fun to be able to add some authenticity to the project. Um, but yeah, the, the whole concept of this, this idea running the bases and, and the, you know, the, the title of the movie and what does that even mean? Um, it really, without giving any spoilers, it's, it's something that my the main character, my character Luke Brooks, does as an act of worship to the Lord and a dedication that he is going to to do this thing called baseball for the glory of God. Uh, but it also symbolizes a very deep spiritual truth that the whole point of this life is not to get the first base, it's not to get the second base, it's not to get thrown out, it's to get home. And and that begs the question: What is home? And and for for anyone, it should be uh, eternity with the Lord, and that should be our ultimate home. Um, and for those who are in Christ, that is our home. And so this entire life should be run in such a way that we're striving towards that ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. And um, and so and it's just something that's really really cool to see it played out not only in the story, but then sub in the subplots of the story as well, um, as you see that theme permeate every one of the characters. Yeah, you know, you've got a, a, a my a bottom line show listeners know that five years ago I had open heart surgery. And uh, when I see, you know, the, the two brothers, you know, dealing with this congenital defect that actually winds up playing a pivotal role in the movie. And again, I'm not no spoiler alerts here, but that's a part of right. why Coach Brooks actually does run the bases. Um, it, it's it's amazing to me how life can imitate art and your coach becomes a coach in spite of the fact that he never really had the opportunity to be a player. Uh, talk, talk about how, you know, sometimes I was reading a quote from uh, Benjamin Watson, former NFL player earlier today and said, you know, sometimes the storm comes and it does wreak havoc, but sometimes the storms come to clear away your path so you can see what you're really supposed to be doing too. Talk about how overcoming adversity is a huge theme in running the basis movie. 
Yeah, one, one of the, the taglines was um, that I don't know if they still use this, but um, I remember early on when I read the script, it was the only the only way to win was to lose. And mm. um, a, a lot of times in our society, we, we run from failure. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to right. deal with it. We don't want to talk about loss or grief. And but so often in our lives, that is those are the very things that God uses to mold us and shape us more into the image of Jesus and more into the person that he wants us to be. And, and I, I've experienced that so much firsthand in my own life. And I think is why I so identified with Luke and bringing him to life was that I was able to pull from moments of my life when I did fail or when I did experience trial and setback and tragedy and coming to realize that those moments cleared a path. They, they made me see clearer what I was supposed to do on this earth and how I'm supposed to do it. And, and I think that that's something that whether people are baseball fans or not, or whether they uh, are married or single or young or old, it doesn't matter. Um, God has a purpose for our life. And um, I think if, when we tap into understanding who we are in Christ, um, the sky's the limit to see what we could do and the impact we could have on people's lives. And it doesn't always have to be in these big, huge, grand ways. It can be something as simple as, as pouring into a young person, something as simple as, as raising your children to love Jesus, something as simple as um, praying for someone. I mean, we, we so undervalue the power of prayer in our, in our day and age. And, yeah. um, and I think you see a lot of the, these types of uh, storylines with the, the, the other characters in the film that all interact with Luke. Um, and you, you, you even see what, what, a, what a biblical godly marriage should look like in the film and a Christ-centered marriage. And so um, all of these things um, really stem from loss, failure, and hurt. And uh, how do you get through those things? Um, I think I, I don't envy people who, who have no hope in this life. Uh, yeah. because this, this is a world of hurt. This is a world of pain. Right. And apart from hope in Christ, I don't know how you get through it. And so this is a movie that I think can inspire people to find that hope. The movie is called Running the Bases. Uh, it was available in theaters uh, this past fall. Now it's streaming and we've got a link for the trailer up at the bottomlineshow.com. And <clears throat> we'll be making that available to bottom line listeners as well. If you're listening at the end of the interview and we'll let you know how it all works out. Uh, Brett, one of the things I love about, about this as an actor, do a fantastic job, really commanding presence on the screen. You're also writer, director, behind the scenes guy too. Talk about what it's like to be able to get in front of the camera like this and essentially somebody else's project, but be able to kind of, you know, be, uh, I guess, a coach on the field, if you will, <laughs> you know, having your director <laughs> and production experience as well. Yeah, it's I'm very blessed to not only be able to do what I love to do, but have to have been able to use uh, different avenues in telling stories and not just acting, not just directing. And um, and and honestly, I praise God for it because it's it's made me more empathetic on on set. It's made me listen more. It's made me understand the struggles of cast members and crew members better than if I was just an actor. And the funny thing to me is that. Um, acting was never really in the the realm of possibility for me. Acting mm. was my first love when I was little. Mm -hmm. I always thought it'd be cool to be an actor, but uh, but I knew. Uh, in fact, my parents just wisely instructed me as a teenager that if that's the only thing I want to do in this life, it is a life of compromise. It is a life of just giving over to to get the next job. 
And, and so I started dabbling with a camera and I found, I discovered this love of directing that I didn't even know I had in me. Uh, and so pursued that kind of head on, but then through God's um, divine appointment in my life, acting opportunities started popping up in front of me uh, and I have no formal training in it. It was just like, I just started stepping into it. And now it's become a, a bigger part of what I do, even than directing. But, um, but I love the, the, the team mindset that it takes to create a film. And uh, it's really kind of a beautiful picture of like the body of Christ, many members, but one body. And it's a, it's a machine. And yes, the, the actors get a lot of accolades and a lot of notoriety because you see them. But, um, but I see firsthand every day uh, on set the, the, the production assistants and the grips and the makeup artists and the, these people and those people who put in so much time and effort into making the story come to life that it helps me communicate with them better because I've lived, I've walked their shoes. And so yeah. um, it, it's, it, God has definitely used it to humble me and show me what I don't know <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and challenge me to become better at what I do. Yeah, so I'm talking with uh, Brett Varvel today here on The Bottom Line, plays coach Luke Brooks in the new movie, Running the Bases, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, it's a great uh, sports movie if you like it. And of course, spring training, pitchers and catchers reporting any minute, um, but also the faith component. And if you've been watching the case of Coach Joe Kennedy out of Bremerton, Washington, yeah, that kind of gives you a little bit of foreshadowing of the kind of uh, trouble that Brett's character gets into in the movie as well. Um, I love the believable conversion experience. I love the challenges to the faith. Talk about what it goes into, you know, I remember years ago working with Worldwide Pictures and Billy Graham's organization, they they talked about how important it was to make sure that those elements didn't come off as, I don't know how else to put it, so I'll just say it, cheesy, you know, that they were yeah. very, they seemed a little more organic. Talk about uh, the finessing of the direction, the script and whatever, to to make that a part of running the basis, because you guys did a great job with that, I really thought. I appreciate that. It means a lot, because we we did, we we labored and we toiled and we prayed over making sure that the execution of the story was was done in an excellent way. And, you know, Hollywood is great at what it does for a reason. They, they, they labor so much over perfecting the craft and something that um, is, I believe Christians have struggled in for years is presenting a message in a believable way, something in a way that's not cheesy. And I've, I've gone on record for many years now saying that there's nothing about the gospel of Jesus Christ that's cheesy. Right. We're the problem. Right. We, the, the, the communication of it is the problem because um, it's not done ex in an excellent way or in a believable way. And the thing that I love about Jimmy and Marty, uh, Jimmy Roberts and Marty Womble, the guys who are Jimmy, Marty Roberts and Jimmy Womble, I missed their, their names up. Um, the guys who directed the film is they challenged us to to uh, really press into real life issues and not present a version of Christianity that's not relatable mm -hmm. and um and honestly they gave me a, and uh a, several of the actors a lot of freedom on set to tweak dialogue and to um Good. to pour a lot of those into the characters themselves um because that comes across as so much more authentic and uh was just so so humbled by the opportunity to really just take it and run with it and um and i i and I see not just in running the basis, but many films in a faith-based genre, 
we're just they're getting better they're getting stronger they're getting more believable or um the craft itself is becoming so great that i believe the messages come through even clearer and they're not muddied up by the uh, poor presentation <laughs> and so it, it's it's just very humbling and exciting to know that i was a small part of uh, of that with running the bases Brett Varvel is the star of Running the Bases. The movie, uh, runningthebasesmovie.com is up at thebottomlineshow.com and we're going to be giving away some opportunities for you to see the movie free. Uh, Brett, I, I wrestled with two different questions here because our time is a little limited. I want to ask you kind of a two for one, if you don't mind. Um, sure. I, I noticed that for years, Christians have been saying, boy, if we could just crack the code of Hollywood and figure out how to get movies to the big screen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we would, you know, we would really evangelize. And yet I'm seeing the best Christian filmmakers, whether it's you guys or the Kendrick brothers or the Irwin brothers or something like that, coming out of Texas and Georgia and Indiana, you know, really not coming out of Hollywood, if you will. Um, yeah. And yet God's using these movies in powerful ways. What Do you sense that the trend is kind of not necessarily away from Hollywood, but away from that kind of mentality and saying, hey, we can compete on the big screen just like they can, even if we are not coming from, you know, Hollywood or New York? Yeah, I think Hollywood used to be a physical place. I mean, it still is a physical place, but the idea of Hollywood is now a societal type of reality um, and, and, and just in the industry itself. But the beautiful thing about how accessible technology has become has made it possible for people like me in Indiana or the, the Kendrick brothers in, in Georgia or, or whoever to, to take the, the art form and the craft itself and to do it anywhere. And I think the other thing that's been really exciting is um, it's allowed us to tell stories that don't take place in Hollywood or in New York or whatever. And we're, we're able to tell stories that happen in the Midwest and in the, the, the desert and, and, and other places of the country where we see these, um, these characters come to life in, a, in an organic way. And, uh, and so, yeah, the, the craft itself is just really exploding. Um, but it's because people are coming together. I think that's one thing that yeah. Christians have a, a nasty habit of doing things in isolation yes. and we, we've lived in isolation for so long we do this in isolation and um i'm, I'm a part of a, a vibrant community of, of filmmakers who are spread throughout the whole country and we we get to do this thing together and that's that's how it it should be uh christ wanted a community when he created the church and mm -hmm. uh and so it's a beautiful thing to be a part of I love it. Brett, uh, we got 60 seconds left. What's your hope for someone who says, okay, I'm not really a sports movie person, but they were talking about it on the bottom line. So I, I really need to check this out. What is your hope for the, for the takeaway from people who watch Running the Bases? Well, I can tell you, if you're not a sports person, you still should see this movie because the people who've seen this movie um, and you'll need tissues. You're going to need yes. to grab the tissues. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, this movie has something for everyone. It, it, it is a story about how to how you deal with grief and loss and trial and setback and the unanswered questions of life. And it's just wrapped up in this mechanism of baseball. Um, and and the, cool, the cool thing is that you can do that from the comfort of your own home with uh, renting it or watching it on, on demand through Amazon or iTunes or Vudu. Uh, but you can also hear uh, coming soon, uh, February 21st, you can go to this to Walmart or Target or Best Buy and purchase the physical copy for yourself. Nice. Uh, and it's exciting that we're finally able to get the discs out to to our, our audiences. Um, there's there's an avenue for everyone to watch this movie. And I would say that this movie is for everyone, young, mm -hmm. old and uh, and in between.
I love it. Well, Brett Varvel, uh, I highly recommend running the basis. Two thumbs way up from the Marsh household. The trailer is up at thebottomlineshow.com as well as a link to the website for the movie. Brett, thank you for your time. I really appreciate your generosity. Thank you. and Thanks for doing a great job with the movie. And we appreciate you being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Absolutely. God bless. Well, what a great resource and what a great movie, too. Uh, Brett Varvel, thank you for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Running the Bases, uh, the Running the Bases, the movie is up at thebottomlineshow.com, so is the trailer. Uh, Brett mentioned that this uh, project is going to be on DVD in stores sometime around February 21st, but... We just happen to have not one, not two, but three copies of the Running the Bases DVD to give away to Bottom Line Show listeners. It's an exclusive here on Movie Monday. So give Crystal a call right now, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the movie you'll be asking for is Running the Bases, a great movie that has, it's based on some actual legal events, but uh, it's it's a great kind of uh, uh, allegory, if you will, for what it's like to be men and women of faith in a modern era that really does have hostility toward that faith. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue, going to take a look at another case, actually two of them, that involve uh, men of faith who have been lambasted in the public square for their position on the posture they've taken regarding uh, praying in the public arena and how they treat biblical truth in the public arena as well. Coach Joe Kennedy and Jack Phillips of Masterpiece Cake Shop in the spotlight. Coming up next as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to Brett Varvel, the star of the new movie Running the Bases. It's our Movie Monday feature today here on the Bottom Line Show. And we've got three copies of the DVD of this movie to give away right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, he mentioned, not by name, but kind of anecdotally, the fact that uh, Brett's coach, uh, Brooks, who runs the bases before and after every game uh, to remember his brother who had a heart condition who wound up dying on a baseball field. But then also, um, as an act of obedience and faith, that's where Coach Brooks gets into trouble on running the bases. Of course, it's reminiscent of Coach Joe Kennedy, the former and now reinstated football coach at Bremerton High School in Bremerton, Washington, who used to take a knee at midfield after each game and offer a silent prayer, as did Coach Brooks in the movie Running the Bases, and uh, was wound up losing his job and going to the Supreme Court for it. Speaking of Supreme Court cases, you know, a lot of people say, well, when it comes to religious liberty and religious freedom, thank the Lord that Jack Phillips prevailed, you know, the guy who was the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado. I've been there. It's a nice, quaint little store. It's one of four bakeries in a, about a one-mile radius there. And he is a man of great religious conviction. He also likes to decorate cakes for specific occasions. And he got into a bit of a, a scrum about 10 years ago with two guys who came in when same-sex, quote-unquote, marriage was not legal in the state of Colorado and not in the United States. They wanted to have a reception. They wanted Jack to decorate a cake for their wedding reception. Jack said no. He went before the Colorado Human Rights Commission, and they ruled against him and were ordering him to go to re-education camp. And basically, Jack had to stop decorating cakes for weddings, lost 40% of his business. But he maintained successfully through our defense with our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom that the issue was not the cake, it was the way it was decorated and the way it was used. 
Jack said, look, I've got lots of wedding-type cakes that don't have any decoration on them. You're more than welcome to shop here. There are a lot of gay customers that would come to Masterpiece Cake Shop. They said they liked his cakes, its donuts, cookies, whatever he was making, and they were never turned away. The issue was when two men said we would like to have a cake decorated this way, that's when Jack and the team at Alliance Defending Freedom went into action and said, hey, wait, Jack's a cake artist. What makes your cake, you know, sets it apart from other cakes for quote-unquote weddings is the fact that you want, you know, congratulations, Jeff and Bob or whatever on it and picture two guys. And Jack, that would be violating his religious liberty. In the same way, if you went to a gay artist who said, all I do is gay artwork, and you said, well, I'd like to commission you to paint a picture of Jesus walking on water. And the artist says, hey, I don't do the Jesus stuff. And you say, oh, yeah, you will, because I'm a Christian, and that's what you're going to do. That's what Kristen Wagoner and the team at Alliance Defending Freedom argued successfully on Jack's behalf. And in 2017, uh, Jack was victorious by a 7-2 margin. Now, the case was a bit limited, as you'll recall, in that what they were really ruling on was the way he was treated by the Colorado Human Rights Commission. They made snide comments, rude remarks about his faith, about him, and the court agreed, even some of the liberal justices agreed, that uh, they had been disparaging against him and his rights had been violated. But literally the same time that this happened, an attorney tried to contact Masterpiece Cake Shop and said, here's the deal. I am in the process of transgendering. I, I, I'm moving from female to male. and Or maybe male to female. Anyway, it was a custom cake where they wanted, the person involved wanted a cake that was pink on the inside and blue on the outside to reflect on and celebrate a gender transition. Jack Phillips said, can't do that. It's conflict, et cetera, et cetera. But it's interesting because the customer specifically requested that the cake express messages and celebrate an event that was literally in conflict with Jack Phillips's religious beliefs. The case was thrown out in court originally but then it was refiled, and now Scardinia versus Masterpiece Cake Shop has gotten a new lease on life. We'll give you an update here as to what's going on and why it's important to be in prayer for Jack and supporting Alliance Defending Freedom. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com, hit the Preborn banner right now. 
Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. You have a couple moments left to get your call in for Brett Varvel and uh, the team at Running the Bases to get a copy of that movie, Running the Bases. Uh, runningthebasesmovie.com is up at thebottomlineshow.com. You can watch the trailer. And we've got three copies of the DVD we're giving away today at 800-227-5278. Excuse me, yeah, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Jack Phillips prevailed against the Colorado Human Rights Commission in 2017 at the Supreme Court for upholding his right to say, I'm not going to create a cake for a same-sex quote-unquote wedding because it violates my you know, religious beliefs. But the Colorado Court of Appeals now is taking on a case where Jack Phillips is asking them to uphold his First Amendment rights after a lower trial court has issued a ruling that will punish Jack Phillips for declining this time to design a custom cake celebrating a gender transition. Literally on the same day, the Supreme Court announced that it would hear the case where Colorado tried to force him to create a cake celebrating a same-sex wedding. Uh, an activist attorney called uh, Masterpiece Cake Shop and they said, this is what I want to have done. And now um, the case has gone through a lower court where they ruled against Jack. So your prayers are needed, but also your support. This is where our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom come in. And when you make a donation of $100, $200, $500 or more to support Alliance Defending Freedom, it goes to a case like this. I've met Jack Phillips on a couple occasions. He is a good man. He's a good, godly man. And people have come to faith because of his testimony in the public square. He has withstood a decade of death threats and attacks on his business. This is a guy who likes to make, I mean, he makes cakes and cookies and things. The real joy of the Lord for him is in the decoration. Creating a wedding cake, which he hasn't been able to do for nearly 10 years because of this crazy case. And now when you see the activist lawyer, in this case, who's going after him, knowing that he just won in the Supreme Court, it shows you how relentless the enemy is with regard to not only religious liberty, but biblical truth. Please keep Jack Phillips and Masterpiece Cake Shop in your prayers. And if you feel led, I encourage you to go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net, look at the Alliance Defending Freedom banner there and make a donation, or call them, 877-367-6461, 877-367-6461. Make a $100 donation today to help Jack Phillips fight this case that hopefully will eventually go to the Supreme Court and find him exonerated. KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day and Rabbi Schneider coming up next. For those who remain on the network, a very interesting story. If you followed the case of Bruce's Beach or the Tulsa Race Massacre or the Rosewood event in Florida in 1923, there's another one of these cases that's brewing right now and it's happening right here in Riverside County. We're going to talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, Movie Monday edition of the program here. If you did not get a chance to hear my interview with Brett Varvel, who's the star of the brand new movie, Running the Bases, uh, we've got an exclusive that we're giving away today here at The Bottom Line Show. Three different DVDs. Uh, we've got, they're the same movie. Uh, but what makes this cool of Running the Bases, it's, if you like baseball, it's a great uh, kind of underdog hero type of story. But... I, I'm kind of honored that we have the three DVDs to give away because the DVDs won't be available in retail for another two weeks. Um, I believe it's uh, two weeks from tomorrow. Uh, they're going to hit like Walmart and stuff like that. So this is cool that we have this exclusive. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 
800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, February, of course, is Black History Month, and it's a time of year when um, the focus of our nation is on African-American history. And we do have Hispanic History Month, and there's all sorts of different history months here. Uh, February having uh, significance because of uh, Abe Lincoln's birthday and other notable dates, not just because it has 28 days in it, three years out of every four, and they only get up to the uh, the fourth year when we get to there. Um, but I, I wanted to talk about something here that I came across recently, and especially if you're a resident of Southern California, specifically in Riverside County. This is a part of history that you may not be aware of, and I want to make you aware of it because I was not aware of this either. But as we, I think as we are trying our level best as believers to do what we can for reconciliation, for healing, for growth. I mean, there, there are so many stories that show up in the culture. And let's face it, as Americans, I'm, I'm talking about Americans of all different backgrounds. We learn the history that we're taught and then we uh, kind of double down on that history and use that, I don't want to say to clobber people. I, last week when we did the uh, call-in with uh, Andy Stanley talking about the uh, the number of gay people who attend his church, and he said, you know, I know what all the clobber passage are, passages are in Scripture. I, I thought that was a very interesting phrase. I'd never heard it put that way before. But I think when it comes to Bible verses that we pull out of our back pocket, like, oh, yeah, you know, well, you made this claim, but I've got this verse that's going to put you in your place. That's that's really tough. I mean, because I understand the word of God, the living God, the bread of life, the living water. I mean, Jesus himself is offensive to people who are living in sin. I mean, sin is offensive to God. So, I mean, if you are living in sin and you've not been washed clean of your sin, uh, no one has uh, uh, told you about the gift of salvation that's available by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then your sin is offensive to God and therefore you're an enemy of God. And I realize that in modern culture, that isn't a very common um, sentiment. No one wants to hear it. Um, what we want to focus on is that Billy Graham hymn, you know, uh, the one, well, not written by Billy Graham, but the one that was made popular by Mr. Graham at his uh, evangelistic crusades, just as I am without one plea. O Lamb of God, I come. I, I come to you seeking forgiveness and seeking redemption and that type of thing. And the modern culture version of that is you come to God just as you are and God accepts you just as you are and you're just fine just as you are. And, and that unfortunately flies in the face of scripture because what scripture tells us is we come to God as broken and messed up sinners and God takes those broken pieces as the Gaithers would sing in this, their song something beautiful all I had to offer him was brokenness and strife and he made something beautiful of my life he put it together and when God does that for us it, it, a, a wonderful thing happens what happens then is we now have a testimony to share with other people that we can, you know, sing the praises of God because we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. But at the same time, then, we can also help others to see what happened to us, and they can hear our testimony. And it's amazing how God does his most incredible work through the testimony of telling people about what happened to you, showing them how your lives are different. I use that as a long preamble because I came across a story recently about Section 14 
in the Coachella Valley, um, the city of Palm Springs in particular, that I found very interesting because this is something I, I put it in my what I call missed history category of things that when you read about it, you talk to other people about it, we probably didn't know about it, most of us, regardless of your ethnicity. But it's a part of history that's worth telling the story on. And so today I want to focus on this because I believe if we in the body of Christ are going to be instruments of uh, reconciliation, uh, you know, people fighting for true justice, I'm not talking about the justice that you see, and I say justice in air quotes, that you see people uh, fighting for in the public square. You know, the, the, the activists who go out and say, we're going to rally for this, we're going to raise money for that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes to actual justice, it's like, well, wh- how can you possibly just stand in front at a, you know, a funeral or at a memorial or at a rally or something like that and say, and if we get $10 million, then justice will be satisfied. The only way justice can be satisfied in God's economy is if we as sinners come before him and say, I got nothing, all I have is my sin, but I believe that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for my sin. And scripture tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is now your Lord, not just your savior, but I will follow him. Savior means you're saved from your sins. Lord means you submit to his lordship. When you profess that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him for the dead for that purpose of saving your sins, saving you from your sins and becoming the Lord of your life, you will be saved. You're then compelled into the waters of baptism, into the Holy Eucharist and communion with one another, into prayer and Bible study and fellowship with other Christians and sharing your story. And so you know, the idea that a lot of people will look at some of these uh, history stories, history lessons and say, well, you know, I mean, there's this, there, there's been so much about uh, racial tension in history in our culture, even just in the past 150 years that most of us didn't know about because we weren't told. I mean, I grew up in California, born in Whittier, raised in Orange County, made my home in the Inland Empire. I mean, this is, this is turf for me, 62 years worth this coming September. And there's so much about California history that I didn't know. I didn't know about the Hispanic families that banded together in Santa, uh, Santa Ana and Westminster and Garden Grove back in the 40s. It was the precursor for, for Brown versus Board of Education. A lot of people think that that ending of segregated schools started with African-American families in the South, but it really began with Hispanic families in Orange County. I mean, that was the precursor. That was the template that they used for that case that went to the Supreme Court. And then there's the Tulsa race riots. We commemorated the 100th anniversary of that a couple of years ago on or about May 31st or it's May 31st and June 1st, I believe, of 1921, where an area in Tulsa, Oklahoma that was referred to as Black Wall Street, there were a higher concentration of African-American millionaires in that area than anywhere else in the world, let alone in the United States, until there was kind of an Emmett Till-like situation involving a a white woman accusing a black guy of uh, making sexual advances to her. And next thing you know, the sheriff of Tulsa is deputizing anybody with a gun who was white who would basically go and they were raping and pillaging and burning and torching the business community of downtown Tulsa, known as Black Wall Street. How many people know about that? I mean, a couple of years ago, we did a feature of it here on the Bottom Line Show, and I heard from a lot of people that said, man, I've lived here my whole life. I had no idea something like that happened in the United States of America. 
It's 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 crazy. But it's amazing how much history we don't know. And then, of course, the Bruce's Beach situation we've been following here on the Bottom Line Show for many, many years. The Bruce family uh, purchasing land in Manhattan Beach, establishing a little business there, a a, a vacation inn, a a vacation spot. Remember, segregation was very real in 1910, 1915, 1920. And if you were African-American, you wanted to go to the beach, they'd just chase you off. What are you doing here? You know, I mean, even though... Everybody was free in the United States. Many African-Americans were still treated as though they were slaves. And the Bruces bought a business, started the business, and it was thriving. But a lot of the locals didn't like the fact that so many African-Americans were coming from all over, driving on down to go and have a nice week at the beach in the Bruces Resort. And so the city of Manhattan Beach concocted a scheme. And I'm, I'm saying this now not, not anecdotally. I mean, this is what the legal findings have discovered. The city of Manhattan Beach claimed eminent domain on the Bruce's property, said that they needed to create a city park there, and they basically stole it from them. I mean, they, they, they were paid, but eminent domain seldom, if ever, pays you fair market value for your property. The Bruce's went on to try to start another business. Both of them died in, um, in poor health just a few years later. The city of Manhattan Beach never developed the Bruce's Beach area. Well, that's what it's called right now. Instead, they wound up uh, deeding it over to L.A. County. L.A. County set up a uh, lifeguard training center and a facility that was on the property. But that's when the members of the L.A. City Council were presented with an opportunity to kind of make this wrong into a right. And eventually, county supervisors made a, had a proposal together that they put with members of the Bruce family, their surviving great-grandchildren, I believe. And though they put a plaque up and said, hey, this area is called Bruce's Beach, and here's who you know really founded it, it still belonged to the county. The county wound up last year deeding it to the Bruce family. And the Bruce family held on to it uh, until they decided to sell it back to the county. But they sold it, I think, for $20 million dollars. And, you know, when you get right down to it, how do you put a price on the tens of millions of dollars, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue that the Bruce family lost? Can you imagine what it would be like to have an historic place like that? To see what the civil rights movement did, especially in the L.A. area, and then to have, you know, in the same way the historically black colleges and universities uh, benefit from having that kind of history, the Bruce uh, estate, if you will, in Manhattan Beach would have been phenomenal to go and visit, to go and spend the week there on vacation, to go have a nice family gathering, a wedding or something like that. But now it's not there anymore. The Bruce family eventually sold it back and they wound up with about 20 million bucks. But how do you put a price on how many millions of dollars the family lost over the 100 years it took to get the property back? So when people talk about reparations, sometimes it's easy for us to go into, a, you know, kind of a tailspin and go, well, I mean, what, what did every black person in America getting reparations, every Hispanic, every Japanese, I mean, wh- where does it begin? Where does it end? But in the case of Bruce's, Bruce's Beach, we do have a prototype. And toward that end, on the other side of this break, I want to get into a situation involving Section 14 that involves hundreds of black and Mexican families filing for a claim saying that the city of Palm Springs caused undue harm to their relatives by forcibly evicting them 
from the downtown Section 14 neighborhood in the 1950s and 1960s. It's an amazing story. You won't want to miss it. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Get your money out of a traditional 401k or IRA now. What we have is we have a problem in the sense that, and I've got a big pot of money. No one's advising me on what to do with this big pot of money. And so I'm just kind of putting it all over the place. People in the early 50s and early 60s, when they went to work, they had pension plans. Hey, they knew when they retired, they're going to have a pension plan. Well, it is a real challenge when you think about the fact that here I am, now I'm retired and you're now responsible for everything to do with your retirement, everything to do with the growth, everything to do with what you're going to do. And so this kind of gives you a feeling of relief to know that, hey, that, that I'm not the only one out here suffering. When you see the, the severity of what the 401k has limited you to, and you realize that it really isn't what it was cracked up to be, this kind of takes them down the road and shows them how easily that can be solved. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial Services for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, taking a look at Section 14 in the Inland Empire, actually in Riverside County. Uh, the city of Palm Springs is being approached by hundreds of families who were impacted by what they say is a forcible eviction from said area. Now, this is Section 14 is a one square mile neighborhood that is owned by the Agua Caliente Band of Cahulia Indians. It was a residential area, uh, primarily for people of color, in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. In late 1954, the city of Palm Springs began to evict families of color from Section 14. No real reason, apparently, other than the fact that, well, uh, you know, the, the prevailing wisdom of the day was... It's just not good for business. If Palm Springs is a tourist area, you know, back then you had all the Hollywood types who had their vacation homes in Palm Springs. It was kind of a, uh, a Hollywood East, if you will. But this one area didn't work out so well. Now, if you go through the area today, you'll find that there are casinos and there are Native American lands that are marked off. And uh, there, there's been some measure of uh, restitution, if you will for helping these families out. But this is really interesting because recently attorneys representing some of the families of the evicted uh, held a news conference in LA and they said, here's the deal. Uh, Lisa Richardson is a spokeswoman for the attorneys and said these survivors remember these evictions vividly and what they did to the families. When initially proposed here, the city of Palm Springs uh, realized that they had made an error back in September of 2020, or excuse me, yeah, 2021. Uh, the city of Palm Springs issued, issued a formal apology for the evictions. Okay, well, that's nice. Um, they then took the next step, which I think is kind of interesting. Uh, Frank Bogert was the mayor of Palm Springs during the time of the Section 14 evictions, there had been a, a statue of Mayor Bogert in front of the city of Palm Springs, City Hall, uh, for many, many years. Part of the resolution 
was to remove that statue. I want to read this uh, council uh, resolution. Quote, Mayor Bogert and Palm Springs civic leaders persecuted their lower-income constituents who rided, resided on the land owned by tribal members. Attempting to dispossess the Indians of their tribal lands and erase many blighted neighborhoods that they might felt have felt degraded the city's resort image, Palm Springs officials developed and implemented a plan that included having non-Indian conservatives appointed by a local judge to manage the Indian land claim, uh, saying that they were unable to manage for themselves. The successful implementation of this plan resulted in the removal of the city's people of color and restructured the race and class configuration of the city. Now, how many people were impacted by this? Imagine if, if you are a bottom line listener, our, our coverage goes, if you take Interstate 10, and you're on your way to Phoenix, you can pretty much pick up our uh, bottom line show affiliate KBRT, AM 740, all the way out through there. Uh, we get calls from Hemet and uh, Cathedral City a lot. So we, we're, we're not unfamiliar to this area here. There were at least 200 families that were impacted by this. Now, I know that might not seem like a lot of people in a place like L.A. or San Francisco or Denver or whatever, but if you could imagine how many few people lived in this area between 1930 and 1965, and the fact that the only people who were evicted, literally eminent domain claims, were people of color, think about this. When you look at property values, just I'm, I'm just thinking about the houses, not even thinking about the businesses that were that were potentially owned or were not able to start because these families were forced out. Property values in the Coachella Valley have skyrocketed along with all the other property values in Southern California, Northern California, and Colorado all throughout the past decade. Can you imagine if somebody, I remember my uh, grandparents lived in 29 Palms. My dad's parents lived in 29 Palms, which if you're wondering, uh, if, you're, if you're listening outside the area and you wonder where 29 Palms is, basically, if you've ever seen the cover of U2's album, The Joshua Tree, you drive through Joshua Tree National Forest to Yucca Valley to 29 Palms. There was a Marine Corps air station out there years and years ago. And uh, during my elementary school years, my parents sentenced, I mean, gave us the privilege of going to visit my grandparents twice a year, once at Christmas time and once the first week in August, which I always thought was just cruel. Why do we have to go out to see Grandma and Grandpa when it's 120 degrees in Palm Springs? And then I put two and two together and realized, well, they would get rid of us for the week of their anniversary. And that was good self-care. There's a reason why my parents will be celebrating their 67th wedding anniversaries this August. That's why. But here's the city of Palm Springs. Okay, so they issued a formal apology in September 21. They took down the statue of the mayor who organized this, this eviction, if you will. But then there's the next question. Well, what if this was a house that you owned and you were evicted from it, but the property that that home was on continued to appreciate. That house that might have cost five, six, seven thousand dollars in the 1950s and 60s is probably worth half a million today. Now you begin to understand what people are talking about, and this is the kind of reparations that I think should be looked into. Not just the blanket, if you are a descendant, blah, 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 but let's go right to the source. Palm Springs Mayor Linda Middleton, or Lisa Middleton, said in a statement, over the past two years, the city council and staff have set out a course aimed at making right what happened to families of color in Palm Springs during that period. 
While the process may seem to be taking longer than some might like, the city does have an obligation not only to those who were displaced, but also to its residents, businesses, and taxpayers to thoroughly investigate the history as it develops remedial programs that are fair to everyone. The number of survivors and descendants of those who were evicted now has reached 500. So what ultimately is going to happen? What kind of recommendation did the survivors ask for? And what's the latest update on this? We'll take a look at that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to Preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, we're taking a look at Section 14 the uh, race reparations lawsuit that has been filed in Palm Springs by survivors of the uh, uh, the evictions. And you know, it's interesting. I was uh, digging, do, doing a little digging during the break here. As Palm Springs, The Guardian, which is a UK publication, actually picked up on this as well. Um, when Palm Springs was flourishing in the 1950s, uh, their mayor, Frank Bogert, made an interesting uh, admission to the Los Angeles Times in 2001. He said there were the Agua Caliente band of Indians who owned that Section 14 was offering short-term leases to minority families because they couldn't own property because of racially restrictive housing covenants. So the federal government eased tribal land restrictions to give 99-year leases. But here's what Frank Bogert said, and this he gave this in the interview with the L.A. Times in 2001. He said, I was scared to death that someone from Life magazine was going to come out here and see the poverty, the cardboard houses, and do a story about the poor people and the horrible conditions in Palm Springs. Here was Section 14, a half a mile from the Desert Inn, which was the best hotel at the time in the 1950s in Palm Springs. And so basically, he ordered the raising. This right now is starting to look more like uh, Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921, Rosewood Massacre of 1923 in Florida and other situations as well and you're talking about families here one of the guys who's the uh uh the 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 leader of this whole uh situation a guy called alvin taylor um who began drumming professionally with little richard when he was 14 i mean this guy um has played for elton john he's played for george harrison on the very first episode of saturday night live billy preston was a musical guest alvin taylor was the uh uh, was the guest. I mean, he was the drummer. 
and yet he's now kind of become the face of this whole Section 14 situation. Matter of fact, there's a picture up at The Guardian of him standing in front of what used to be his childhood home that was raised by the city. And you know what they built on it instead? Nothing. It's still a vacant lot. I share this story with you. Uh, the the uh, bids for uh, the, the proposal, the, uh, the survivors are asking for $2 billion to be divided among the 500 survivors. City of Palm Springs put this out to bid, and they're making their determinations. Uh, the bidding closed on January 26th, so there will be an announcement soon, we hope, as to what's going to happen. But, but please understand, when we hear a story like this, that you know at some point that some of the people involved in this are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We see people who literally had their homes ripped from them. And granted, these homes were not spectacular homes, but the land has tremendous value in this area. And the fact that it was taken from these folks because a white mayor got scared of what kind of image it would present for his city, it shows you how far we've come as a culture. But this is an area, I believe, where we in the body of Christ can stand up for people who don't have a voice and to share this story and to tell the story. We can't go back and change what happened in Section 14 in Palm Springs in 1950 and 1960s. But we can tell this story as a reminder to those who might say, well, things have gotten so much better now. Why do we have to worry about this? Why are they always talking about you know reparations or this, that, and the other thing? On a blanket scale, I agree. You can't just say one group gets this and somebody else has to pay for it. But please bear in mind that there's a lot of history that you don't know about your hometown that we don't know about our home states and whatever, not because it didn't happen, but because we just weren't told. And the more we put our faith in what the world is telling us about science and history and politics and this, that, and the other thing, the more we really have an obligation, not only to ourselves, but to our communities, but also to God, to don't skip past the missed history. Never stop learning. Listen more than you lecture. It's a lot easier to do more listening and do more learning if you're listening. But I hope and pray that a a good end will come to this, or an amenable end. But I hope and pray, too, that we in the body of Christ will be people who listen more than we lecture. And first and foremost, listen to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit, guiding us and directing us into the ways that we can most effectively let our light so shine before others that they would see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. That is good news, and that's the bottom line.